we've created this society. If a teenager is not doing exactly what we want her to do, she's wearing a certain type of skirt and a certain brand of skirt. If they deviate just a little bit, we freak out. The stories on top are messy. They're not this perfectly tied up with a little bow. Yeah. Like about Yakov and Esau. They're not simple stories. And I just think we lose sight of the fact that we are beautiful works in progress. We're not expected to be there yet. We're expected to do our best and to learn and try and work on these things. But if someone's 19 and they are not the chassad queen of America, we would not shame them. But if they're 19 and they're struggling to find their relationship with Sneas, oh my goodness, she's not going to get a shidduch. The whole world is about to end. This is Listening to Understand, where sensitive Jewish truth seekers gather in a safe place for candid conversations on challenging topics. When we listen to truly understand and not in order to respond, we can replace judgment with curiosity and open our hearts to every Jew, regardless of their personal choices. As Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. I'm Atana. Let's get started. In today's episode, I sit down with Bracha Polyakov. She's the co-author of the book, Reclaiming Dignity, A Guide for Tzni'ut for Men and Women. The title itself is so engaging. I think the reason why I decided to publish this episode on the topic of Tzni'ut, one of the first episodes of Listening to Understand, because it was a topic that I needed a lot of healing from. I feel like there was a lot of shaming growing up when it came to Tzni'ut worthiness? Am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? With very little sources. And the book was so healing and enlightening for me. There's so much sources, facts. I remember reading it and I couldn't put it down because I just wanted to get through it and see what was taught properly, what was lacking for me. We both share personal experiences with the topic of tzniut, modesty, we deep dive into the word, what it's new, where is it from halacha, where is it from our history, how did we get to where we are today in the way we teach sniut, and do we need to maybe adjust it a little bit and give a little bit more knowledge versus shame and fear, like a very loaded topic, like the word sniut, often with women it's either their safety network or something that makes them cringe. I'm grateful to people like Bracha that are courageous enough to tackle a very sensitive topic like Tzniut and do the hard work of researching the different sources and different perspectives from different rabbis and across the spectrum of Orthodox Judaism and spoon feed us the knowledge that we really need to rely on. Really looking forward to hearing what you think of this conversation what you gained from it. For me, it was transformative. If you didn't read the book yet, I highly recommend you go and buy it. After this episode, I think you'll be convinced that you need it in your home. Enjoy this conversation. Thank you for joining me here today. I am with a beautiful Bracha. Thank you for being here. I was just sharing with Bracha that when the book first came out, my knee-jerk reaction is I am not reading that book. The name of the book is Reclaiming Dignity, A Guide to Tzni'ut for Men and women. Bracha, you're not a Rebbitzin. You're a mom. You're an educator. You're a clinical social worker. And you chose the topic of modesty and snoot. Why? Why that topic? So obviously a little crazy also. We forgot to mention that part just for taking on this topic. It's very challenging. I don't, I, sometimes I just look back and I'm like, I don't even know how this happened. Definitely did not see this one coming. 
it really happened very organically. Like over the years, I've struggled with this topic, not so much with like when we talk about like SNES dress, not so much the dress part of it, but just the whole idea, some of the messaging around it, I just really struggled with. So for me, over the years, like I would see different things on this topic. And every time I feel just disappointed and frustrated and just say one day someone's going to write a book and that book is actually going to explain things in a way that makes sense and resonates it's based on sources. That's beautiful. That's validating. And I think I kept waiting for someone else to write that book. And then at some point, I think I realized maybe to someone else, <laughs> if no one else is doing it. And it's been years and years since I've noticed this need maybe I need to put my money where my mouth is and just do something about it. And so during COVID, this came up because I found this book that I bought on this topic, thinking that it would be that book that would actually explain it in a way that made sense and that I connected with and that resonated with me. And I read it and was so disappointed and frustrated. Mm -hmm. I had been just furloughed from my social work job at the time and because of COVID. So I was like, you know what? If there's any time, it's now. I need to figure this out. And I started talking to people to find out, is someone else working on something like mm -hmm. this? What's out there already? What's being done? Who can be involved? Who can I get to write something like that? And that's how that whole process started. Mm -hmm. So COVID was a blessing for the Orthodox community and Jewish community because you had time to devote to this in a way. We, can, we have to also see the blessings and the time that we have to pause and really jump into things that is a big it's a big topic it's a very scary mm -hmm. monster topic that's very controversial and the word sniut modesty is usually so misused and mm -hmm. it's like a buzzword for shame for guide for restriction for oppressiveness that's how i see it yeah um, for sure and that's how i hear about it what was your experience reading that you said I, you were disappointed, you were craving something, there was a void. You're like, we, there, there needs to be more um, literature on this. What was that void that you were experiencing? And what was the misunderstanding that you were seeing through the liter literature that was out there that you said, okay, this is not filling it? Yes, yeah, so I think it, it's two things. It's what you were saying about that like visceral reaction. I definitely had that. There was an emotional piece to it. I'd be reading these books and I would just feel super tense and anxious. I felt myself cringing a lot. I can't believe this person said that. There was this, like discomfort with it, but just more from the intellectual side of it. I just felt like most of the literature, and I'm not going to say anything about specific books or specific authors, and there's definitely some different types of books on this topic, but the majority of the things that were published were from a much more, for lack of a better word, like Haredi perspective. Mm -hmm. But the that black and white. Yeah, very black and white, one size fits all. And the firm world, as we've talked about, like it doesn't fit into that box, meaning there are some people that are in a very black and white Haredi community and they are very clear with how they do things. And then there's like everybody else. And I felt like right. there wasn't a book that spoke to everybody who's in the middle somewhere. We're not, we don't define ourselves as Hasidish or Yeshivish. Although I will say that even when I wrote this book, I knew for sure people in the, I would say, more open-minded, like out-of-town yeshivish communities would definitely find a lot in the book. But I was surprised at how much even in the more yeshivish, like Haredi, Hasidish communities, they're also finding a lot in the book. So even though it wasn't really meant for those communities, it's interesting how many of them have, it's resonated with them, the ideas mm. of the book. But yeah, I think I was aiming a little bit for everybody that wasn't being served by the current books on the topic, like that big middle whatever, we have different labels we can use, but everybody, you know, that wasn't finding, um, that wasn't feeling seen, that wasn't 
feeling understood by the other books on the topic. I think what's so unique about your book is that you discuss topics and you give the footnotes. I th- what I appreciated about the book was not only the emotional aspect of Tzniyut, let's talk about facts. Let's talk about mm-hmm. history. Let's talk about context. Let's bring sources in. And let's bring yeah. real sources in. And what? who are those sources? So many times we go to school and we say, oh, Katuv, Ba, whatever. Do we know mm-hmm. who wrote it with that book? What else did that person write? What context was it written in? And I think these footnotes are so important because it educates us on how Tzniyut was defined and how was it written. And for people that are intellectual, they want sources. Exactly. And I think that's why we had talked yesterday, I think, about there hasn't really been negative feedback to the book. And I think that's a big part of it is that we're not making anything up. We're not asking for anyone. We're not telling anyone what to do. We're really just putting out these sources and these ideas out there. And the people get to do with them what they want. Like they can look up the sources. They can grapple with that. They can say, they can even come back to us and say, you quoted this source, but we think, I think maybe that's not what this person meant. It's all there for people to, to look at, to think about. And I think that's really beautiful. I want to touch upon the fear behind the book. The fear Mm -hmm. that for years you've been searching for something and you're like, who am I to write it? I'm going to wait for somebody else. I don't want to be the one canceled, quote unquote, because Mm -hmm. I'm writing something so controversial. You had a fear behind it, right? Yeah, for sure. So I think there was like two parts. There was the actual like fear, which we can talk about, but the like crippling anxiety that I did experience when I was working on this, especially the beginning parts of the process. And then there was just the like, why would I write this? I'm not a scholar. I'm not um, a rabbi. Who am I? The who, who am, am I? I? I'm a regular right. person. And and even besides for that, but just like the amount of time and money involved, like I had known now how much time <laughs> and money and yeah, re- like just what would have to go into this book. I, right. I don't think I would have agreed to it. So, <laughs> so thank God. I didn't know. Thank God. <laughs> And thank God you didn't know because it's very challenging. But there was definitely like a lot of anxiety about what are people going to think? What are people going to say? At different points, I was like, is this book going to be put in Pharaoh because it's different than the typical books on this topic? So I went through all of that. I did an event in Baltimore two two weeks ago and and a woman came up to me afterwards and she said to me, I really want to thank you for your courage. Mm. And I like that moment, I don't know, there's something really beautiful about her saying that. I was like, oh, she realizes, like she gets that that's yes. went so hard. There was so much emotional and turmoil and anxiety and thoughts of like, how can I do this in a way that will be like a kiddush Hashem and will be positive, but but also will be able to express a different perspective than what's the one that's typically out there. Yeah. And I agree with that 100% because I Googled you right away to say, to see, I wanted to see who is this woman and why is she writing? And if it's going to be a Rebbitzin, I'm not reading it. If it's an educator, if somebody that is an educator, I'm going to read it. So by me, my, and it just shows the fear of the topic shows how it's needed. The fact that you were afraid to write it and you were graveling about like, the, the is this, am I entitled to write this? Yeah. Am I allowed to write this? Right. And will I be ostracized? Will I be bashed? Will I have a terrible outcome? Will I be canceled? Will I be welcomed? Will my community avoid me? Will I affect my family? Just shows how this topic is so controversial and why and how necessary it is to speak about these controversial topics because I don't think 
Judaism has anything in it that should be taboo. Judaism is about education, is about learning, is about going deep. And the idea that there is fear based about on this and this, I will read it, won't read it, knee-jerk reaction is something that says a lot about the need for it, the need for t- talking about it. And I'm grateful that you wrote it. And, my, and then another thing that came up in my mind, I'm like, oh, she probably has girls in the system, in the Orthodox system, based Yaakov system, whatever. And she's seeing the outcome of how Tzniut can be taught, mistaught or, or misrepresented. And she's fixing that, that her girls grow up more educated teaching Tzniut. And then you told me you don't even have daughters. Yeah, I think it's like a very funny part of this, too, is I don't have daughters. I have taught in Basiakov school as recently as last year. I taught a course there and I went to I actually went to a modern Orthodox school until fourth grade and then switched to Basiakov. So I definitely feel like I graduated from the Basiakov system. I've been there. I understand that for sure. At the same time, like I don't have any daughters, so it is a little bit funny. But the what was what was funny also was when I first started this project, like a number of years ago, I was talking to Aliza Bulow. Mm. I think you told me you know her, right? And we spoke about her yesterday. So she's so smart and she's such a she's such a wonderful person. And she was sharing with me that she was working with a lot first in her first career outreach and people who are not Orthodox. And then she switched into working with from women who had grown up in the Just community core. with core and different things she was working on. And she said one of the things that she's seeing with a lot of women is that more right-wing yeshivish system and they've struggled with certain things over the years but at this point like they're adults they've found their place but um, i missed that i missed something so she noticed oh, when sorry, she was yeah i said my my internet like went out for a minute yeah so she okay. noticed when she was working at project core yeah so she noticed that like a lot of women who were everything was going well in their life things were good they found their place within yiddish kite and she said as their daughters got older and then would go through a similar educational system that they went through would bring up a lot of triggers yeah like their daughters would come home and they would say things whether it's yeah or about other things and all of a sudden they would have all these feelings yes and they would say oh wow like i thought like i knew what i was doing i thought i had this like things were good but i didn't realize that i still have all this unresolved issues she was talking to me about this and i just said to her i don't even have that issue i only have boys And she said, whoa, the way you said that was so much like relief in your voice. Mm. You said it so quickly. I only have boys like so fast, so much relief. Like you're just showing that you have the exact same issue. You just don't. You you happen not to have girls. But if you had girls, you'd be having the same. Yeah, you're just not being triggered by what they're coming home with. The fact that you keep saying to everybody, so lucky I only have boys. That's part of the problem. Wow. What an awareness. Yeah, it was what you said that it like really struck a chord in me of, wow, I have all the exact same issues. I haven't found my own place with me. I haven't found my own place with some of the things that I learned about or heard about. And this book, that's why I think in a way it's funny, but it's also interesting that the person who helped facilitate that myself didn't have any girls. Mm-hmm. But in a re- in some ways, I feel like it helped me to have a different perspective on it. So maybe that's the I was going to ask you about the name reclaiming so maybe really you're reclaiming the dignity like you're taking ownership it's a big word reclaiming like now with the war going on in Israel and hostages like I feel like it's the same um, energy of somebody somebody took control of the topic of modesty and kidnapped it 
and mm-hmm. build a narrative, right? And mm-hmm. now we're getting it back. We're owning it. Yeah. We're, we're bringing it back home. We're reclaiming it. And I think the words that you used, the reclaiming dignity, you didn't write reclaiming modesty. You didn't call mm-hmm. it reclaiming modesty. So talk about a little bit about the word reclaiming dignity and what it means to you and why you chose that name. So I like how you described it. That was very beautiful. I actually, when I think about it, it's much more on a personal level. It's not, okay, here's the narrative and we're reclaiming it, but more each of us is reclaiming it for ourselves. Mm. That like each of us, like you said, you have a certain visceral response to these topics and I have a certain visceral response to these topics. And I'm sure there's people that don't have that. But a lot of the people that I've spoken to do. And part of that reclaiming piece is that anytime like there's a there's a Jewish value, like here's an important Jewish value that I'm struggling to connect to. Like I find that it's important for me to find my own way to connect, my own way of understanding, to make it my own. There are so many things that, you know, you learn when you're little and then as you get older, like you come to understand them or appreciate them in a more mature way. Right. And so I just feel like with this topic, especially because it's so loaded, because people have so much like responses and reactions and baggage, it's just important for each of us, like on a personal level, to reclaim that, to say, okay, I'm going to take ownership over my relationship. Like, I'm not Mm going to keep having these knee-jerk responses I had when I was 13. Mm -hmm. But now that I'm an adult, like, I'm going to look at this from an adult perspective. Like, Mm -hmm. what can I learn from this? How can I personally find meaning in this mitzvah? And that's how the title spoke to me. As far as like the second part of the title, dignity, that is a word that comes up a lot in the book. But the original topic, the original title was actually Reclaiming Sneut. Yeah. Wow. You see? We had to change it because we were told that the word Sneut or Sneut is number one, too triggering for people, which tells you everything you need to know about even modesty, modesty, even reclaiming modesty. It's like, the word itself is so triggering that we couldn't put it in the title. So that tells yeah. you everything you need to know about this topic and book. And how it was needed. And we were also told, and I think this is just another interesting piece of that, that if we wrote sniut or sniest, we would alienate 50% uh-huh. of the firm community. So that wow. made it tricky too, because what do you do with a word that has a, a tough or stuff at the end? Like, how do wow. you do that in a way that doesn't make it feel like, oh, this book is for them, but not for me, or vice versa. I think actually Eliza Bulau, I remember her sharing the same thing with Kor, is that she was trying to come up with a Hebrew name. And every time she came, came up with a Hebrew name, everyone would say, no, it sounds too this way or that way. Mm-hmm. And the Havarot makes it very right. tricky. Havara Ashkenazes or mm-hmm. Sardine, mm-hmm. what do you do with that? Mm-hmm. So there was so much drama. Esther <laughs> found the name of the book, mm-hmm. which tells you a lot about how this topic is perceived in the community. <laughs> And how different challenges that we have. And not only that, that by just how you pronounce it, there's a whole judgment call within 10 seconds. A person is already making a judgment call on the way you pronounce that word. Yeah. and And I was told by, it's funny, I actually asked a family member of mine who was very excited about the book, but considers herself yeshivish. I said, would you buy this book if it was, if it had the word snoot on the cover? And she said, I would look at the book. I'd say, oh, that's interesting, but that's probably not written for my community. And I would just move on. And I said, okay, now what if someone told you this book's called Reclaiming, it says Reclaiming Snoot or it has the word snoot on the cover, but it's a really wonderful book and there's a lot in there that you would like appreciate. So then I would consider it. 
Mm -hmm. So that was like what we were dealing with, that we knew that however we position the book or however we title it or whatever havara we use, it's like there's going to be all these feelings on each side of, oh, this is written for me. This is not written for me. And what's so funny about it and hilarious is that in the end, it didn't really matter. This book's getting to the people who want it and getting to the people who need it. And people are able to overlook that. And I think that just speaks so much to like where our community is that, yes, there are some people that are 100% in this camp or 100% in that camp, and they would never consider reading something that doesn't 100% align with those values. And that's totally fine. And I totally respect that. But there's so many people that are somewhere in the middle. And I just see this so much, even like with the war in Israel now, like you see mm-hmm. the overlap between Haridim and Dajilumi mm-hmm. and open a mishpacha magazine it's all about the chayalim and i saw this already with the book even before what happened to israel this overlap of people just want ms people want to learn and people are willing to say you know what this person wrote her article on haveras fardit but she has something like important to offer or vice versa like this woman's chasidish in the book and she because we had contributors from across the orthodox spectrum so you have women who are chasidish women who are chabad women who are mm-hmm. in israel women who are affiliated with the YU community. So there's this very broad range of perspectives and people were willing to be open to that. And I think that was like something really beautiful that came out of the book, that I wasn't sure it would work because Mm -hmm. that's how I operate. I didn't know, are there other people out there that would be that open-minded to say, look, this book has so many different perspectives, maybe perspectives that are different than the community that I personally identify with, but they all have something to offer. And I think that was something really special too. I think that the world, the last, I would say, 10 years or maybe less, is becoming, the Orthodox world is becoming more curious. Exactly. Less black and white. And they're seeing a reaction and they don't know what it's from. They're seeing a lot of pain that's going on with kids leaving faith and the way they're leaving faith. Not because they're that, that they're leaving faith, but the way. It's like a rejection. It's a disgrace. It's a disconnect. It's not, right. oh, I'm just choosing not to put on fill and I'm just choosing not to eat kosher. It's, it's like a kick. I'm rejecting. I think that is forcing our communities to say, okay, what are we doing wrong? What do we need to do different? And it's inviting a curiosity and people are more open to hearing things that they wouldn't be open to be hearing 20 years ago or 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And every year I see that line moving a little bit. So I must say that if you wrote this book, everything is at the right time. I always say everything happens at the right time. If you wrote this book 10 years ago, I don't know. I don't know if you would have such an incredible feedback of yes, amazing. You would, I would assume you would have pushed back in the day because they weren't ready. They weren't ready. And and now I think people are ready to learn, ready to change their black and white perspective and to really say, okay, how are we showing up with this? So I want to go straight into the topic and we're going to use personal because you said you're reclaiming it for yourself. What parts were difficult for you when you were reading about topics that what part of Tzniut, of modesty, didn't align with you that said, I need something different? I, it, it was triggering, was hard. Where did it come in your life? Yeah, I think for me, probably the biggest thing was like, I call it like blame and shame. Anything that blame women or shame them, make them feel like there's something wrong with them or like they need to be like, more invisible or more hidden, but not in a positive The slogan. But being used in a way that was very like, I don't want to say negative, but any of those things that were like, okay, these bad things are happening because you didn't wear the right clothing or like 
just a lot of like the negative piece of it. I think that was like probably the hardest part for me. But then the second part of it was like this very black and white view of it where there are certain rules and they apply to every single person and every community and every part of the world. And I'm like, it doesn't really make sense because when you look around like the from community, like there's different communities, right? You have modern Orthodox and you have Yeshivash and you have Hasidish and different types of Hasidish, right? There's so many different flavors to Judaism, even within the Orthodox world, right? There's so many different flavors. And it didn't make sense to me. There's just one standard and we're all supposed to be following this exact same thing. So any standard that was like very black and white, here's how it is. Here are the rules. A lot of times they weren't sourced. Just be like, here's the rules for everybody at all times. I had a very hard time with that. And part of it was like a visceral response to it. But part of it was like, I didn't understand where it was coming from. It just didn't make sense logically to me that there could be like one rule. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so like those type of messages were very hard for me. I also had a hard time with like books that were very specific, like telling people you can wear this, but you can't wear that and like getting very into the weeds. And that's why like in our book, like we very much stay away from like specifics because I that was like intentional. I don't think for different reasons, I don't think it makes sense to have a book that's just like a list of rules, but there needs to be like that context and the sources and that bigger picture. But I think really like at the core of all of it, one of the things that really was hard for me was like this obsessive focus on women. Like everything's about women and women's clothing and women's dress and the way women talk and the way women act. Like it was all about women. And what was very strange was that when I started learning more about the topic, most of the sources weren't talking about women. Like the original sources on Sneas and the Gemara and the, even in Tanakh, they're not talking about women. They're talking about either men or women and men. And of course, there are some sources that talk about women, but they weren't the main part. And I did find that very frustrating to read these books where I just are here are these ideas where it's just everything is about women. And I didn't really understand, like, how did it turn into this thing that was really a beautiful value for both men and women, halacha and mitzvah and minhag but that applied to both. And then we turned it into, OK, it's just about women and just about the way they draw. And then again, adding that layer of like shame and blame on top of it also. How did we get there, really, after you did all this research and you had that, wait, something doesn't sit right. When somebody hears tzniut, automatically we think women. Guidelines. Skirt length, covering your hair, collarbone, singing maybe in public, all these things, like how mm-hmm. you show up, faces in, in newspapers, right? There's like the guidelines of tzniut. What kind of shaito? What kind of earrings? What color? It, it goes range. That's where your mind, where one mind goes right away. How did we get there in our communities, in our schools, in our education? When you're writing this book, what is tzniut? Let's go back to basics from what you wrote in and researched. And of course, we're not going to go into deep details, but what was the overall outcome that you found with the sources? I can't talk so much to the historical piece of that because I'm not a historian. There is one essay in the book that touches on that topic written by Feige Zeltzer, but of what shifted where it became, started off as this more general topic that applied to both men and women. And then just the way we talk about it communally, it almost sounds like it's just for women. And there was a shift. In, in the messaging and a shift in the way it was taught and talked about. And that's, again, like more of a historical piece that I can't speak to as much. But as far as what I learned about SNES through this process, so there, there's, it's very hard to distill it into like just a few minutes because it is so complex and that's why the book gets so big. But there really is this idea of SNES as a mitzvah and a midah. And to say it in a very short, very short How way, would you say midah in English? It has to do with being an internally focused person having this self-respect and dignity. Robbie Manning talks about that a lot in his section, this idea of privacy. So these are all ideas that 
in some ways can be expressed through clothing. That's like a very small part of it, right? Like when you think about privacy, you don't right away think of clothing. There's so much more to it than just that. Mm. Or you think about dignity, like what does it mean to be a, a dignified person? It's mm. also much broader. And so all these ideas that were the original sources for Tzniyas in the Torah, in Tanakh, in Hazal, we're talking about a much broader concept that apply to men and women. And so that's also one of the ideas of the book is to look at those sources, to go back and say, okay, what was this idea that Hazal were talking about? Because there really is a lot of beauty to this and a lot of depth that we're missing when we distill the topic down to one very specific practical application of that, instead of looking at that really holistic throughout history. They took a little part of the big topic of dignity, of modesty, of tzniyut, and they basically focused and highlighted guidelines of how we dress. And they didn't focus on what tzniyut is all about, not only for women. What is real tzniyut? When the Torah talks about tzniyut, what is that? What is right. dignity? What is modesty? What is... And I think that what you just said actually sums it up because people know right? Let's touch upon the source of it. Yeah, but the rest of the Pasuk says, A semishpat or something yeah, like that. What does right? Hashem ask from you? That you should do mishpat, chesed, and hatsne lachet imelokecha, right? So it's part of the, the like, context. The context. Right, like, the right? context is so important <laughs> because... If you define Sneas as wearing a skirt that's a certain length, mm. it doesn't fit. The Gemara explains that what Micha is saying is that if we summed up the entire Torah into three main concepts, it would be Mishpat, Fesed, and Hatsne Lefes Imel Kefa. So if you think Hatsne Lefes means longer skirts, it doesn't make sense because mm -hmm. this is talking about men and women. The mm -hmm. top three things that we need to do mm -hmm. are Chesed, Mishpat, and wearing longer skirts, like it doesn't fit. And right. so obviously we're talking about something so much broader, so much deeper, so much more integral to our Judaism than just our skirt length. I'm not saying that's not important, but we just have to look again at the context. The bigger picture is there's something obviously very deep here. And there's different ways that different people explain it. And I had said internality and privacy and dignity and respect. There's other explanations for it as well, but we know there has to be a deeper explanation that otherwise it wouldn't fit in that mm. context. I think it's important to look at the sources because you do see this there. Is that the main source of the mitzvah? There's different ways of explaining the mitzvah. Rabbi Manning in the book talks about a different source for it in Devarim, where it talks about kadosh, right? And that whole idea of having dignity, which was learned actually from men in a time of war, how they're supposed to act in the camp. That is one source for Tzniyas. But as far as the word Tzniyas, we only see that Shorash twice in the entire Tanakh. So it's in both Micha and Mishlei, where it talks about mm. people who are Tznuim and how they have wisdom. But those are the only two actual sources with that language. But there are other places that do talk about this concept. So the actual halachot of tzniyut, guidelines of tzniyut that are taught in schools, covering your hair, covering your knees, it is halacha, right? We're not saying it's not halacha. We're not saying that it's not halacha for sure. And I think that's an important part of the book is to actually go through the halachos and, and show where they come from. But I think the misunderstanding is that there's like a section of shulchan era called tzniyah. And here's a bunch of rules. And we talk about it like that colloquially. People say, oh, what are hilchot or right? And 
And we do talk about it like that, but there's not one place where they're all brought down. So even like the halachas of hair covering are in different places. The idea of erva, which is mentioned in another Gemara. So there's all these different places where we talk about these concepts, but they're not written as a list of rules. And that's like a modern day invention to say, okay, here's a list of 30 rules, because that's not really how it was brought down in, in the original sources. I'm going to go back to my original question. How did we get to where we got to now? I'll go a little bit deeper into my question from a personal way. I remember when I got married, I never connected to the hair covering, not physically and not spiritually. Physically, I'm highly sensory. Highly. I'm a highly sensitive person. I didn't know that until my whole mental breakdown 13 years ago, but I didn't understand why stockings, I would obsess about taking them off the moment I got home from school. Mm -hmm. All I could imagine through the day was ripping my stockings off or wearing the very uncomfortable collar that I felt suffocated in it physically, not sneeze why. Like literally, I just don't like things on me. The whole hair covering was a physical hard thing for me and also spiritually. Why am I covering my hair? I'm a feminist. I'm beautiful. I want to show my hair. I feel like a woman. It's very hard for me. It could be funky, but it's very hard for me. And I remember, I think it was two, three years into my marriage when I was really in a tug of war. I'm doing this for society, not for myself. I don't feel right with it. Like you were saying, reclaiming, like I was saying, I was being very honest with myself and I didn't feel like a bad Jew. I was so proud of myself that I didn't feel like a, a bad Jew. Oh my God, you're doing a, a, a Navera by even thinking about it. But I knew that I couldn't ask the average person about it because they're going to say, you can't uncover your hair. It's not halacha. And I said, you know what? I don't even know the halacha about it. I just know that they say, a tefach, you're not allowed to show. That's what I heard. You're not allowed to show your hair to men that are not related to you. And then that's even like a question. And then there's when you're a nida, what you're allowed to show, how you're allowed to show. And I thought, I really know nothing about the actual halacha of hair covering. I called my friend, Jesse Fishbein, and I said, she's a Talmidah Chachama. She's honest. She's somebody I respect. I'm going to ask her to teach me. She was so nice. And she said, okay, I'll teach you. And she knew everything cold, like literally cold. She knew all the sources and I was blown away. It was the first time that she brought up Dat Yodit. I never heard of Dat Yodit. And I thought, who is Dat Yodit and why is it relevant? And do we even have to follow Dat Yodit? It just took the anxiety to a different level. I was no longer anxious about it. I'm like, okay, now I have Dat. That's what I kept on feeling that I was missing. I'm feeling I'm missing Da'at, knowledge, yadia, facts, and mm-hmm. your book gave that. So how did we get to this place of that we just, when p- girls are in Shaduchim, are you going to cover your hair or not? And they don't even know. They know to say, oh, of course I'm going to cover my hair, or I don't want to cover my hair, or maybe partial cover my hair, but they don't know the sources. How do we get to that? Yeah, there's so many pieces to this, and I don't know if I'm the best person to even answer it, but I think one piece of it, and I don't know if this is what you're alluding to also, is, and actually Rachel Goldbaum spoke about this on a DMC podcast. Have you heard of that podcast? No. Ricky Silver and Alex, Alexandra Fletcher have a podcast, and they interviewed Rachel Goldbaum, and I remember she spoke about this, that as a society, we're very superficial. That's just, what, for whatever reason, a lot of it is just the way the time we're living in, like the world around us is very superficial. And it doesn't surprise me that it becomes like, okay, what type of they'll do you wear? What type of hat do you wear? What colors your yarmulke? We're very into that as a society. And Sneas has just become another thing that we look at in this very superficial way. 
And that's why when so many women or girls are struggling with it, because they know that there's something off. It doesn't make sense that SNES is just these little details. There has to be a bigger picture to it, but they're not necessarily seeing that because the society we live in is so hyper-focused on, on details. And some of it's just like a function of the fact that we're so large as a community. I remember hearing about other times in Jewish, recent Jewish history where people were so happy, like when you had a school and you had from kids that wanted to come to your school, you were just so happy to have them. Like there's no okay. concept, oh, I'm gonna accept these kids, but not these kids. You were like, here are Jewish children who want to learn Torah. Like, let's teach them Torah. And right. then as the community got bigger and bigger, we had to differentiate of, oh, okay, like this school's for this type and this school's for that type. And how do you differentiate? Maybe this school, they dress like this. And in this school, the dress code's like that. And this, and then it became, we tell the parents that they have to dress a certain way if they want to send. So a lot of it had to do with just the large, like when you live in these large Jewish communities, and I've lived in very small Jewish communities and larger communities, and you see a difference. In the mm. smaller community, they're just so happy to have you there. No one's looking at what color is your skirt and how long. We're just like, we You're Jewish. We're, we're Jewish. We're yeah. all Jewish, right? And right, then you go into right. the larger communities, and it's very important, right? Like all of a sudden, you are signaling to the world through this exact <laughs> clothing mm. choice which mm-hmm. part of the from community becomes very myopic and mm. detail oriented. And so I think that's just some of what we're seeing is just what's going on in the outside society and going on in the from society, how it's become very focused on the externals. And that's why when you hear people talk about SNES, a lot of times I've heard this, I can't tell you how many times, where they'll give a talk on SNES and it'll actually be really beautiful and it'll be based on sources. And then they'll start talking about, and I've heard this from both men and women speakers, what image are you trying to project? Sneas is about the image you're trying to project. And that word triggers me so badly because Sneas, at the end of the day, when we look at, learn the sources, it's something so personal, so internal, right? And even though the part about dress is something, this idea of we should be living our lives based on what we're projecting to other people. And we've turned Sneas into almost inside out. Instead of being about ourselves, and our own relationship with Hashem and our own per- personal connection to Hashem and personal connection to the mitzvahs. It's all about what are other people going to think? What are other people going to say? What are people going to think if I do this? And what are people going to, and it becomes this obsession with of the judgment called and the judgment. And it's like literally the exact opposite of what Chazal are talking about when they talk about Sneas. It's not about other people. It's actually about right with Hashem. It's a very personal privacy, dignity. These are very personal, internal things. And we've made it all about projecting. What do other people think? And I just think there's a lot of that's just like what's going on in the world outside, like not, not nothing to do with SNES, just to do with the world we're in right now. So what I'm understanding from you is that after you did the research, you saw that it's really about inner work that we constantly (laughs) have to do. It's me versus me and God. And 100%. it's not me, right? My my responsibility for others because what when I grew up, and I'm sure I'm not the only one that said that. Well, we'll say this that there was a lot of you're a michshol, you are a danger if you dress a certain way and a man has a bad thought because you showed. You, it, it could be that you've been covered your entire by code by the rules, but you weren't sanua. You weren't, you were tight, you were red, you were whatever, you were provocative. It's your fault. You sinned because he sinned because of you. 
I remember, I think it was after I got married and my kids were coming home from school and I thought, okay, we have to relearn this. You're not responsible for other people's sins. You are not responsible for other people's, what if you're not sins, like thoughts, you don't need to show up in the world because of somebody else and how they're going to act. And unlearning that is so hard. And we do talk about it in the book because there is a source, there is an idea of Lefne Iver that does exist, but it's a very dangerous message to teach kids, right? And so when we talk about Lefne Iver and this idea that we do live in an interconnected world and that my actions can affect you and your actions can affect me, like that does exist, but that is not the foundation for Tzniyas. Also not responsibility. I would say there's a difference between effect versus responsibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's very, it's a very nuanced conversation. And I think when people take that and make it the foundation of what Snea says, not only is it not accurate, but it creates like very damaging messaging and leaves people feeling very traumatized and very blamed and shamed. And the damage that I've seen from that approach, it, it can't be overestimated how negative that is. But at the same time, I think it is important to say there is a source to that idea but it's not the foundation of Tzniyas. It's the idea that we have to show respect for each other, meaning it doesn't make sense for a man or a woman to be doing things on purpose to make someone else sin. And it doesn't have to do with Tzniyas, it has to do with in general. If I respect you, I'm not going to want on purpose to put you in a place where you're going to have to do something wrong. But that's like a very small part of what we're talking about. And it goes both ways. Men need to be respectful to women and women need to be respectful to men because we're all on the same team. Like we're all trying to do our best and be good people, right? And create a society that's a society that is nuah in all the different ways that it means, right? And so we want to be respectful to people. That's important, but that is not the goal of Tzniyas. That is not the foundation of it. Would you say that Tzniyut is very parallel to Anivut, to being humble? There's definitely parallels, yeah. Especially in the Mida part of Tzniyas, which is about, again, being like an internal person who's connected to Hashem and not thinking about what do other people think and worry about other people, but focusing on what does Hashem want doing that. There's definitely like a piece that very much connects to humility. So what does Hashem want? That's the million dollar question, right? <laughs> so what? So after learning all what you learned and you found Rabbi Manning, which he's incredible. That is a whole other episode, yeah. how you found Rabbi Manning and how he was an amazing co-publisher, writer. Yeah. And uh, I would even say maybe he was your mentor in a way of reclaiming Yeah, a little bit, for sure. Because it takes broad shoulders to be able to say, okay, these are the facts and I'm going to bring you all the Talmudic sources. Mm -hmm. Uh, So after learning it in depth, so how would you summarize? Because you're saying it's basically what your relationship with Hashem and what Hashem wants. So what does Hashem want? Because that's what we rabble with every day. So what is that? So for me, the way I relate to it is not so black and white. Like here's what Hashem wants and here's what the way I look at it is it's a struggle right? Like everything else. Like when, I, when I think about Micha, the idea from Micha that the three things we're supposed to be doing is Mishpah, Fesed, and Hatzni Lachas, right? There's never a point in your life where you wake up, you're like, okay, I'm done with Fesed. Like I've checked it off the list. I am done. I am a Chesed person. Moving on to the next one, right? Mm-hmm. That's something I personally like grapple with all the time, right? Let's say someone in my community. Boundaries of it, right? Make, the boundaries. The boundaries part of it. Do I make them a meal? Is this too much for me right now? If I give to them, is it going to take away from my kids? There's a constant struggle on how do I develop this part of myself, this chesed part. Like, how much do I do? The boundaries piece. When do I do it? And, and what constantly... Hashem wants. And, and what, what Hashem, Hashem wants. Right? What's like, the, what what's is MS? What is MS? Right. 
Yeah. And the same thing with mishpat, right? Like all these things are, these are like general things that we struggle with, right? And so to me, SNES is the same thing. It's something I'm constantly learning, constantly growing, trying to figure out, thinking about, I'll give you just like a funny example, but social media, right? People who are on social media, right? What do I post? How do I post it? What's too much? What's like, when sometimes you see someone post something, right? You're like, okay, they crossed a line. That feeling of, oh, that was too much. It was too private, too raw, too, right? So what do I post? How do I post it? Like every day, that's just one practical example, right? It could be your clothing. That is part of it. Could be how you post on social media, how you show up in the world, how much you share of your own personal accomplishments in certain settings. Like you're always grappling with, is this is this the, what I should be doing? Is this what, like you said, is this what Hashem wants? So for me, it's just, it's a constant struggle. It's just one of the things I struggle with that I'm constantly trying to improve and learn more and do better and ask questions. I will ask people, and this, if something I'm not sure, is it Sneas or not? I will ask a rub, I'll ask a friend, I'll ask someone who's an objective third party. What do you think of this situation? I had a friend who just called me up and she said to me, I have a funny question for you. The shul wants to honor me. And I want to know, is it SNES? They're going to be putting my face on all these posters and I'm going to be in all these videos and be talking about how amazing I am and my family. Is that a SNES thing to do? And I don't have an answer, yes or no. I think I have a lot of, I actually have a lot of thoughts about it, which I shared with Mm -hmm. her. But these are questions that we all have, right? Every day we're grappling with like, in these situations that come my way, what is the right course of action? And And I I think, think I just want to interrupt you for a second because I, I think that for that example that you gave, it's not right or wrong. It's the internal for each one. What does it mean for you? Check in with yourself. 100%. And the mishpat, maybe, that's what mishpat, maybe it's an internal mishpat with yourself. Go in and do the mindfulness check. Why am I doing this? What part of me is doing this? Where, what's the outcome that coming, that will come from this? And exactly. the big why, and What's am I showing, me? right? And am I showing up in the umbrella of the way I want to show up with Hashem in the right way? And it's exactly. not right or wrong in this, in the, for everyone. It's for me. It's the check-in for me. A hundred percent. And I think that's why this concept is so hard to talk about because it's not easy. It's easier for me to say, here's your checklist of 10 things. Now you're sneeze, the end, you're done, Right. But when like we talk la- about Shmira like, Shabbos, Lama yeah, like, yeah. allowed, yeah. not allowed, here are the books of you're allowed to open a can, not a lot of open a can. If you need to open, open a can, if this, if that, and that's it. And the truth is, if that's how we kept Shabbos, that would be fine. But we don't keep Shabbos that way either, right? Shabbos is not a list of rules. Okay, we, I think I shared with you a different time. Shabbos is not a list of rules. We all do it the same way. If you go to, if I go to your Shabbos table or you come to my Shabbos table or someone else, Shabbos looks different in everyone's house, right? Because even though we have these rules, there's also so much more to it, right? There's, such, right. there's an environment that we create. Right. There's right. a connection to Shabbos. There's the parts of it. What about Shabbos do you connect with? Is it the part, is it just having time to learn Torah? Connect. Is it having or- time to connect to your family? There's so much more to it than just the halacha of muksa, right? right? Which creates space. Okay, so we're not doing And we even say thing. that, but we even say that. They say it's not muksa, but it's not. Kavod Shabbos. Like it's not right. in the spirit of Shabbos. And everybody has that spirit of Shabbos that they want to create. And they're working on constantly to get to that place. Exactly. So that's why I feel like with Sneas too, I just feel like it's just another area of our lives that we work on and we think about and we develop. And sometimes it's two, two steps forward, one step back. We do something we like, okay, this crossed a line that didn't feel authentic, that didn't feel like that's what Hashem wanted. So I'm going to, again, talk to someone or learn more or do things differently next time. It's just for me, that's how I look at it. I don't look when I put this book out on SNES. It's not because I think 
I am fully developed in this area. I know everything there is to know. And I am the most serious person in the world. Totally not. But I feel like it's something I struggle with. And it's something I have questions about. And I think that's where we're supposed to be. Like the fact that we should have questions. Meaning like when someone's being honored by their shul, they should have a thought in their head. Is this the right thing to do? Is this something like, why am I doing it? What are my motivations? Is it for the shul? Because I want to help that, help them raise money. Is it for me? Because I want people to think I'm so great. Like what is going through my head right now? And I think that's what you said when you said about being mindful. I feel like that's the biggest part to this is like, how can I check in with myself and see what, why am I doing what I'm doing on a very personal level? And it, it's hard to do and it's hard to even talk about. I feel like some people might be listening and be like, oh, that's like too lofty for me. It's hard for me to relate to that. But I think that's what it is. I can't stress enough how this is resonating with me because I'm thinking about so many times kids that are struggling with Sneot, they'll say, oh, this woman is covering her elbows, but she didn't look Tsanua. Like there's this overall, what looked Tsanua, what feels Tsanua, the, vo- the, the voice, the energy. Sometimes people can come into the room covered head to toe men or male or female and you do something just grub not sanua not it's just not something um i don't know like a a, they say bas melech or whatever but but it's hard to get there we weren't born kate middleton we weren't born like with this royalty of that's the goal that we were royalty and we do certain things because we are the children of God and we want to portray ourselves, but not because of the measurements and stuff like that. It's a bigger right. internal. And as you said, it's a relationship. It's really a relationship with ourselves and with the rules. And when we have these struggles, don't shame ourselves because society shamed us for so many years and generations. And to say, this is a human thought. This is a human experience. God knows that. And if we look at Tanakh, how many human experiences do we have in Tanakh that wouldn't be, I always say, isn't it fascinating that so many of the women of Tanakh are praised? And if it was nowadays, they would probably be put in harem. I think about Esther. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you imagine somebody from the Basiak of world going to Donald Trump's castle and saying, I'm going to be Donald Trump's wife because I want to save the nation. Would that fly or, or root? Or there's so many, like Sarah, that she was jealous of Hagar, or Rachel and Leah. The story of Rachel and Leah, there's so much there that, that we can learn about what the internal tug of war of what it's like to be a woman. Yeah, right? I don't think we talk about the struggle, like in our society. We want everything to always look perfect and be perfect. There's a very strong perfectionistic like tendency in our society. And we don't talk about that people aren't born perfect. They go through struggles. I I think I was on a podcast like a while ago and someone asked me, what would you do if your daughter walked out in a short skirt or something? And number one, it's hilarious because I have no daughters. (laughs) But number two, it's we have no patience. And again, I cannot speak for daughter for people who have daughters. I'm not saying what I would do in that situation. I don't know. I haven't been in that situation. There's no room for flexibility in the sense that it's normal for teenagers to like, push boundaries to question and explore their own way through things. But we've created a society where like if certain if a teenager is not doing exactly what we want her to do and exactly the way we want her to do and like it looks a certain way, she's wearing a certain type of skirt and a certain brand of skirt. If they deviate just a little bit, we freak out. Yeah. 
my goodness, right? right? And the thing right. is, is what you were saying about Tanakh. The stories of Tanakh are messy. They're not this perfectly tied up with a little bow. Like I'm learning now, every day I try to learn one Aliyah from the Parsha, just like very quickly, you know? And it's, I just have so many questions about all these mm-hmm. stories that we learned, yeah. like about Yaakov and Esau. They're not simple stories. They're not at all. A lot yeah. of questions. And I just think we lose sight of the fact that I heard a quote once, we are beautiful works in progress. Like yeah. we're not there yet. We're not expected to be there yet. We're expected to do our best and to learn and try and work on these things. But if someone 19 and they are not the chassad queen of America, we would not shame them. But if they're 19 and they're struggling to find their relationship with Sneas, we're like, oh my goodness, she's not going to get a shidduch. The whole world is about to end. Like we don't give, and again, I'm not saying what to do in a practical situation. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying as a society, we don't give people any room to breathe or find their own paths. We want everything to be cookie cutter. Here's what you do. Here's where you Because it go. feels safe. Because it feels feel safe, safe and then we're in yeah, control. And not, exactly. Right. And I just think right. that's a big part of the way we relate to Sneas as being so rigid and not giving people any space. And there's so much judgment that as soon as they do one thing, a tiny bit out of the box, we like jump on them versus saying it's normal for kids. Like my, I remember my rabbit's didn't even saying this. She was saying like that years ago when she was in Basiaco High School in Baltimore, they didn't have any uniforms. And so the girls had to figure out they would wear these shirts with like different like sayings on them or brands. And now that would never go. Some of the things that they would wear. Right, right, so like right, they right. had this space to like figure out. And she's like, what I wore when I was 17, I wouldn't wear now as a rabbit then. But like it gave me that space to try these different things. Again, not, nothing to do with halach, but just- And express try, ourselves, right? And express yes. style. And then you like, try these different things on and you find what works for you. Mm. And I had that a little bit, I would say, even for me, I felt like a little bit like that going through high school. But the more I'm seeing with the younger generations, there's just much more of a focus on like everyone wearing the same things and doing the same things. And there's not as much of this room to have any sort of in, and I'm, again, identity, I'm maybe I'm it's identity or I'm generalizing, but like to have that room to figure out how do I want to express myself and how do I want to connect to this and not having the fear that comes with it. Oh, no. What does this mean? Like, oh, okay. she's wearing a short skirt. So that means X, Y, Z. Right. Exactly. And I remember years ago, somebody came to our house. He left a very orthodox community. It was years ago it was before a lot of kids were living the community. And I said to him, why did you leave like that? And he said, you know what? For years, I was hiding on Shabbos after the meal and we were smoking after we were smoking in somebody's basement on Shabbos. And I didn't think it, I, it was it didn't bother me. And he said, because when I went to shul and I came with my ripped jeans and I forced myself to go to shul, even though I didn't really feel connected to shul. But I said, you know what? Today, I want to feel spiritual. And everybody was looking at me because I was wearing the ripped jeans and no one knew the internal tug of war that I said, okay, I'm struggling with God. I'm struggling with religion, but I'm going to go. They shamed me for wearing jeans, torn jeans on Shabbos. I said, and I knew it was wrong. So he said, if that's wrong, so what's the difference between wearing jeans and Shabbos? I put him in the same category. Mm -hmm. And I hear this often that the clothes and the reaction from society from the way they dress leads to the next part because the reaction is so harsh right for sure it's so sad because if we would be more accepting and more loving and caring and just saying okay it's clothes it's expression it's like neshama and like who they are as a person and of course i'm not like in any of this conversation i'm not trying to downplay the importance of a halacha 
but halakha is a very small part of the bigger picture of what we're talking about. So I think it's important to to hold both truths that number one, the halakha is important and that there are halakhos having to do with sneas and having to do with dress specifically for both men and women. And then there's also this whole bigger picture that we somehow lost along the way. And that's what we're trying to reclaim a little bit. Yeah. And I think it's so beautiful how you said that it's a internal, I would say, check-in, constant check-in. It's not a destination. It's really the journey of a check-in exactly. of, and it's different parts of life. It's before, it's when you're from like puberty and like noticing our bodies, noticing what feels good, what doesn't feel good, what feels like in, in interaction, then in it could be in marriage or post-marriage mm-hmm. or kids with our kids. The different stages, there are going to be different internal things that come up. And it's about, it's really checking in with ourselves versus saying, you're not, you're allowed or not allowed. And bringing it back to the relationship with Hashem. What does Hashem really want? And asking ourselves, and we, and I don't know if we have the answer, right? I don't know if we really have the answer. And I often, as the my my mentor, Tal Ben Shachar, he mm-hmm. teaches, I'm in his Happiness Study Academy, and mm-hmm. he's, we, we're, we strive for happiness, we strive for joy, but we forget the permission of being human. And mm-hmm. I think Hashem really wants us to be human. He's giving us the Torah in a human experience. And I often bring the, the story of Yehuda and Tamar. The fact that he said Tzadkami many, and I love the story, because mm-hmm. is there anything more human than what, like, the human experience that went down in that story of oh, she was right. What I did was so embarrassing, but I'm going to choose MS. I'm going to choose to stick to MS. And I think Moshiach is coming from Yehuda because it has to be from MS, from that relationship, from that growth. And the mishpat is the pnimi. I see what Micha said is like maybe a relationship. The all three is a dance that we go through in ourselves. Yeah. Mishpat, chesed, and Hatsne Alechet is maybe a dance that we constantly have to do with ourselves, how we show up to society. It's three of them together. It's a dance. Yeah, for sure. That's really beautiful. What's the context? Why do we use Micha as the source? Why do you think we use him versus something else that is brought up for Tzniyut? There's only two places in Tanakh where the word is used. So that's why people go back to that source. A lot of times we're looking for like, where does an idea come from? We look for the first place it was used. So that was the first place it was used. Okay. And he brought it into, let's summarize what... He talks about it in the context. I'm trying to remember the exact context, but it's in the Navi when he's telling the Jewish people, like he's giving them Musa and saying what they should do. But then later on, there's a Gemara where it says that that same statement from Micha, where he says, these are the, the three things that Jewish people need to do. That There's a few people that quotes, quotes David and Micha and Chabakluk and other people who came and said, here, if we took the whole Torah and could distill it down into a few concepts, here's what they would be. And so Mifa is the one who comes and says, okay, you know what? We can take the entire Torah and distill it into these three things. So that same idea that he talks that is in the Navi is used again in Ekamara to say, these are the top three things that Hashem wants from people in the world. Do you want to tell us who that Yodit is and how it came up in the Gemara? So that is definitely not my expertise. Um, we'll ask Rabbi Manning, hopefully, yeah, when that'll come... more of a Rabbi Manning conversation, but it has to do with the Minhagim of different communities. So okay. that's a big piece of the book, too, that different communities have different minhagims, like the importance of respecting that there's some halacha that's very cut and dry that applies to everybody in all places at all times. But there are certain halachos, especially with things like pneus, that really are somewhat community dependent. And he probably answered better the halachic part of that. But that's just the concept. I want people to grab the book 
What should they expect? The book is written in chapters. Tell them what to expect when they pick up the book. The book is written in two sections. The first section is an anthology. So there's, I think, 26 essays from different contributors from across the spectrum of the Orthodox community. And it's mostly women and some men as well, talking about different aspects of what we were just talking about this morning, like different parts of Sniut. And then the second part of the book is where we get more into the halakha part of it. And again, it's not specific list of rules or anything like that, but more of just like a general perspective on how Tznius is expressed in Halakha and Bechazal and giving people like general guidelines for how to look at this topic through Halakhic framework. And that is all written by Rabbi Manning and based on the ideas of Rabbi Yitzhak Berkovitz, who is the Rosh Yeshiva of Eshet Torah. So that's what they expect. And there's a ton of footnotes. What's so fabulous about this book? First of all, there's so many different perspectives from the different spectrum of religion. You could see mm-hmm. it all and you could find yourself in the book. Like, yeah. oh, I relate to this part. I do Exactly. Um, and it's and, okay if you don't relate to everything in it. Too. Right. Like I say that in the introduction, read it, see what you like, see, what, see what's harder for you to connect to and just be open to that mindful experience while you're reading it of what works, what's harder, you know to give yourself that more of that self-awareness too around this topic. What was so incredibly amazing for me, it was like talking to ChatGPT and giving all the footnotes right away. Where do you find this and how is it explained? Everything is broken down and there's no 100% conclusion. What's so beautiful about the book is that there's no 100% conclusion. You give place for everybody to think and Mm -hmm. to come to conclusions on their own and not Paskin. It's not a psaac. It's, no, it's literally like a lookup of halacha, of uh, an index of mm-hmm. this is where we find it. You make your own decisions. How does it fit in your life? And there's no black and white. It's not black right. and white. It, there's, it's a phenomenal book. I love reading it on Shabbos because I feel like it's an easy read. It's a very easy read. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's spiritual. It's really, for me, it was reclaiming. And I think when I wrote you, I said, thank you. I was so grateful. I was so grateful because for me, I have so much trauma around Snius. I have so much baggage and bad taste, bad, because I keep on saying, this is not what Hashem wanted. And people that know me are laughing because that's what I say all the time. That's like my MO. (laughs) This is not what Hashem wanted. This is not spiritual. This is not the goal. We're doing it wrong. Something is wrong. And reading it was like comfort. It was like a therapy session. It was, oh my gosh, this is it. This is it. Uh, it was like journey to home, to my neshama. Yeah. And I don't know if I do things right. I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that I'm going to constantly check in with myself. And I'm going to be okay for where I am. And I know that I'm not doing it as rebellion. I'm doing it because I'm owning it, the dignity. I'm, I'm reclaiming it. And there was something very healing, validating, and very kind about the book. And I want to thank you. I want to thank you for being courageous. Courage is the first word that came to my mind because it's a very hard topic. And to just look up sources and to connect to all these people, I can't even fathom what it's like. I know a lot of people are going to ask, what's the Haskamos? Who are the Rabbanim behind it? What was your insight about getting Haskamos and who are they and how did that work out? The Haskamos, I think, is one of the fascinating things about this book is that very unusual that this book that not only is it on like a relatively controversial topic, but people gave Haskamos even from across the spectrum of the Orthodox communities. The book has Haskamos from Ramon in Israel, in the Dati Lumi community. It has Herschel Schechter in the YU community. It has people in the more right-wing Yeshivish Haredi community, including Rev Leff and Rev Berkovitz from Eshatora and Rev Breitowitz from Orsamea. 
and Aaron Lopiansky from Silver Spring and Rabbi Moshe Hauer, who's now the head of the OU. That's a whole nother story in itself is how we were able to get these Haskamos. But it really just showed me that these people were willing to take, again, that courageous risk to sign their name onto this potentially polarizing topic because they saw that there was also a problem and they wanted to be part of that solution. And it just gave me a lot of faith in these leaders of our community and was really a special part of this process was being able to, to do that. Yeah, which is a miracle in itself. I think it's a, totally. a, a, a miracle <laughs> and also a very big wake-up call to the community and saying, okay, we're, like let's unite for and, and see truth and see mm-hmm. and not divide. We're Jewish. Yeah. There's a and it has been such a unifying experience. Not everybody agrees. With every, not every reader agrees with every single line and every single essay. And overall, this book has sold out in Lakewood and Teaneck. Like just to give you ideas of different wow. types of it's being wow. learned in Williamsburg. We've we've heard that there's a group in Williamsburg <gasps> learning it in Yiddish. Wow. And there's a group in on the Upper West Side. You know what I mean? I can't explain to you like how That's goosebumps. Like, That's goosebumps after, for me. Like the aftas of like people saying, you know what? I'm open to learning something from other people, from other parts of the community. Like we all have wisdom and Torah and MS to share with each other. And I think the Hatskamos are just like one piece of that, but the contributors are one piece or another piece. where we see that diversity and then just the readers like have been so diverse from people that are just barely starting their journey toward becoming more observant to people who are have been FFB their whole lives who grew up in a Hasidic community it's just across the board and it's been a really beautiful part of this process just to see that why did you choose Rabbi Manning I think it's important for the readers to know how you found your co-author and why him so Rabbi Manning is an interesting story when I first have this idea to write write the book, I actually reached out to a few other people who were women before him and nobody had time to do it and nobody would agree to work on it. They all thought it was a great idea for someone else to do. And so I reached out to different people. And then I thought the idea of reaching out to Ryan Manning came to me because I had discovered his shirim online a few years earlier. And he was one of the first people that I heard talk about this topic in a way that really resonated with me, like a very deep way, and specifically the halakha part of it. And I really resonated with that approach. And so I had reached out to him about contributing. And the other reason I thought he might be a good person is just because I had been part of a few of these like large groups online and people would post things like, does anyone have a good resource for talking about sneas or talking about hair cover, like different things about this topic. And then people would post these like books or different things. And everybody would write, oh, that's a terrible book. Why are you recommending that? That's only for this type or that type. There was just a lot of disagreement about which resources could be relied on appropriately for this. And sometimes people would post his classes on these groups. And it was like the one resource that nobody had anything bad to say about. Everyone seemed to find something in it. And again, his Torah is all based on Rav Yitzchak Berkovitz. So it was just like for a few reasons, I just thought maybe this is a good person to have as part of the team. Because I think his approach is so unique. And I think you have to read the book to see why it's so unique. But you read it so you you can see. But no. There's a very unique and fresh way of looking at this topic that I think I never heard from anyone else. Yeah. I, I think it's that, not, like the broader right, world. Right. Yeah. I think it was very intellectual and very thought provoking. Yeah. Like inviting the thought part of us into mm-hmm. it versus just taking rules. I, right. I love that part that the human experience of me as the reader to put it down and say, oh, that's interesting. What am I taking out of this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it well, all does that through the halacha and through the sources, which I think is very unique. Yeah. 
it's not like he's making this up based on his own feelings or opinions. Exactly. Like, like exactly. we may have feelings and opinions, and we've spent a lot of time talking about our feelings right. and opinions about right. this topic. But the halakha is not based on those feelings and opinions. Exactly. That's what's so beautiful. Right. That's what's so special about this book, because the facts are there. The facts are there. The resources are there. You can look them up. And there are so many. There's so many. The entire time I was reading this book, I was thinking, oh, my God, how did someone do this? How did they go through so much and collect all that knowledge? It's a work of art. It's really a work of art. And I'm so grateful for your courage, for your wisdom, for your time, for your curiosity, for your efforts, for your devotion to creating a better relationship with Hashem, because really that's what it is. And also it's creating better relationships, like better vatazulat, less judgment, more, I'm going to see you as a human. I'm not going to see you as what you wear and how you show up. I'm going to really not judge you as your outside and the judgment I'll leave for myself, how I want to show up with Hashem. And I'm very grateful. I'm grateful that my daughters will be able to read such a book in their generation. And I wish I had it growing up, but I had to go through my evolution for a reason. And mm-hmm. I think the world is ready for it. How many copies did you sell already? Uh, I think we sold around 4,000. And now yes. there's another maybe 1,500 in circulation, I think. And we're working on a second edition now, which is basically the same thing, but just redoing little tiny tweaks here and there. Okay. Wow. Thank you. Is there anything else that you is important for you to share before we say goodbye? Nope. I think this was great. I really enjoyed talking to you about it. And it's been fun to meet people like you through this process too, because I don't know if we would have... Our, paths would have crossed otherwise. So thank you for your excitement about the project and doing this and just like all your positive feedback. It's been really great. It was really something that I just want more and more Jewish homes to to grab and to have as a staple in their home. I think it's so important. And thank you for your time. Sure. Thank you so much. Bye till next time. We would like to hear from you, your experiences growing up with Sniut. No matter what your background is, what is your relationship with Tzniut? How do you feel about it? Is it triggering for you? What you feel was taught properly, what you wish was taught differently, share with us. Thank you for listening to Understand. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please hit that follow button on your favorite podcast app. This way you don't miss an episode and you help us grow. You are part of our growth. We appreciate your support and we hope you choose to listen to us on our next episode. We'd love to hear from our audience. If there's anything you would like us to research, to talk about, please contact us on our website, listeningtounderstand.com. And if there's any insight that you got from this and you want to share with others and you are happy for us to read it out loud on our show, send us your insights, send us your thoughts. We want to listen to understand. Bye till next time.